Bonzilla presents Star Trek. Each week we warp speed into the world of Star Trek. This week, our 13th film mission comes to a close as the Enterprise crew crashes onto a planet and blasts some Beastie Boys. It's 2016 Star Trek Beyond. everybody we're back once again for bonzilla presents i am nick and i am will and uh today is our final star trek episode uh we have we are going to be officially making it through all the star trek films uh with this with this episode about uh, star trek beyond yeah it's been quite a fun journey um and you know uh again i'm very happy that i chose this as sort of our 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 first like different series outside of uh james bond and godzilla Mm -hmm. Um, but before we get into sort of the production and talk about the movie itself i did want to mention that we had uh, just recently passed uh, first contact day which is sort of the star trek holiday uh where star trek usually the you know paramount star trek makes couple of announcements and I, I thought it would be interesting to kind of there were two announcements two major announcements uh from that day that i thought i kind of related the stuff we've talked about earlier in the show uh, as i thought just wanted to bring up briefly um the first one being that the paramount has finally after many many years of fan uh, asking and and hope has uh, restored the 2001 director's cut version of star trek the motion picture uh for 4k uh and it is now streaming on paramount plus and will have a physical release later this year which i think is a fairly interesting um sort of realization of of that 2001 director's cut by all accounts and i haven't watched it yet i'm kind of waiting for a time to really sit down because as i said in that episode i'm a big sort of fan of all the all the what i love and all the flaws of the theatrical version of the motion picture but by all accounts People like the pacing better. It, the character motivations are more clear. The, the the story kind of makes a lot more sense in some directions in that director's cut. And sorry, um, and the fact that like that director's cut hadn't been available since its initial DVD release and is finally you know in an HD quality and going to have a physical release it, is a really big deal. I'm happy for all the fans that to get a chance to view it, and I'm very excited to view it at some point and to actually compare it to the original. Uh, film. Um, but I was also happy that we were able to watch the original film because, again, part of what we do here is sort of see the history of these films and how they were reacted to. And I think it's important to kind of have that context. And then the other one was that the uh, third and final season of the Paramount Plus show Picard will be bringing back the entire Next Generation cast, um, which is sort of an interesting little coda on sort of what happened with Nemesis and sort of the on you know how that film had to act as sort of the end of the next generation franchise for so long and even with Picard you had the cameos but sort of to give a chance of a possibility of a undiscovered ton- country type end for the next generation cast and crew 
uh, I think is also a fairly big deal. Yeah, I mean, this was all the talk of uh, my uh, what I do follow of Trek Twitter. So, yeah, yeah. No, I just thought it. it, I just think that both. It's it. It it almost felt inevitable, though. Like I think that's like what was funny about it was like, like the new. Like it is cool news. Like don't get me wrong, but like it was like funny. Like yeah, like this is kind of yeah. In my brief, what I've been seeing, I'm like yeah, that's where this is kind of leading to. Especially with uh, season two being so Q focused and actually having like a Q that never did get a chance to be a a movie basis to have a a big role for Q. And, and allegedly he'll also be back for that third season. Uh, but, it, but it just is sort of a nice ending to the story. And, and especially if the third season ends up being, a, 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 you know, well-regarded and, and giving these characters actual, you know, endings um, as opposed to sort of the, the, the okay-ish ending, but, you know, unintentional ending of Star Trek Nemesis. And, you know, where the original series did get that celebratory, this is the last adventure with these characters type of movie. Um, it'll be fun to get the chance for all those cast and characters. And listen, I'm excited for uh, Michael Dorn to be back as kind of a, a little bit of an older wharf. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm excited for that, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure like LeVar Burton will do well and all, all the Deanna Troy, all, everybody will be, everybody will be nice and dandy. And uh, I've, I've great, I've grown into I'll, the original series is always going to be my crew, but I have gained more of an appreciation for the next generation cast over the course of rewatching all these movies. And it'll be nice to kind of, again, see in what ways, even if I don't watch the series in full, just in what ways they kind of, you know, bring back the characters and sort of where they, they leave them off in, in that sort of celebration. Yeah, I agree. But I yeah, just wanted to briefly mention that before we jump into our movie today. Again, our, the, the most recent Star Trek film as of this recording, the most recently released Star Trek film, uh, 2016's Star Trek Beyond, uh, which I'm very excited to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so coming off the release of uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, um, Paramount, again, was all in on, hey, we're going to do another one of these. You know, I remember Star Trek Into Darkness was very, very successful and became one of the, among the highest grossing films in the franchise. And at the time was real well reviewed, even if the reputation of that movie has kind of slipped over the years. So Paramount was all in on being like, OK, well, we have one more, at least one more with the current contracts with, with most of these actors. Let's get right into it. So production essentially started right after uh, the conclusion of, you know, the Star Trek Into Darkness production and marketing. Um, The one thing that everybody knew going into producing a third movie in the Calvin timeline is that J.J. Abrams would not be returning to direct uh, because he was fully focused on directing The Force Awakens, which, of course, would be coming out uh, in the near future after Uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, So he would still be on his board as a producer and Bad Robot would still be involved with the production of the film. But Abrams was like, there's no way I can do both of these. So I am fully focused on Star Trek. That is my goal going forward. So the initial announcement um, of a director was going to be a writer, a series writer up to that point, Roberto Orsi, uh, who would also be working on the script alongside Patrick McKay and jd Payne, so kind of a you know a different kind of but similar sort of idea uh to you know who had been involved in the previous films of this franchise um so orsi was going to bank his directorial debut and that was announced in may of 2014 
However, uh, script issues and sort of a debate about the direction of the film uh, and creative differences, as it were, led to Orsi leaving the Star Trek franchise, at least on this movie, in December of that year. Uh, and Paramount was very eager to kind of immediately get a new director. They kind of the writing was on the wall for Orsi to leave uh, the director's chair for a while by the time he officially left in December. Uh, so Paramount quickly put together a list of potential directors. And the number one name on their list was Edgar Wright. That was their number one choice for the director's chair. Uh, of course, Edgar had done the one shot and Star Trek in the Darkness and had had, you know, put Star Trek references in various films of his. Um, and, you know, they did talk to Edgar Wright, but uh, it, this was at that point where Edgar Wright was still in the sort of uh, post Ant-Man phase, the post, the post Ant-Man phase. He yeah, wasn't yeah. really that interested of in getting involved in another franchise and sort of have that issue that he had with Ant-Man. Uh, he was focused on making original films and he would he was started to develop what eventually <coughs> would become Baby Driver, uh, mm -hmm. which would release in, in 2017. Uh, so and I and as I've always said, like he is, I've always like my opinion of Edgar Wright was always like just he is just one of those guys who it's just very clear, just let him do his own things. Yeah, and and it's not really even a judgment call on either one. It's just like there's some directors who don't mind coming yeah. in and doing the thing, and there's other directors who are just best suited for just doing their own thing. And Edgar Wright, I think, had is clearly just one of those guys. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And and I think this is that is where he's been his most successful. Mm -hmm. I feel like, and, yeah. and 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 it's what he have he's happy doing. Like you know, like people. I know people weren't always as hot as um onto like One Night in Soho. You know, people don't say it's his best film, but he seemed to have a blast making it. That Sparks documentary he made was was super fun. He just seems like he's having, you know, he has the best time. When oh, he yeah. To, like, I mean, have listen, his own. I, 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 I'm somebody who like, you know, I think he's done great stuff and there's some stuff I'm like kind of like eh, on. Yeah. But ultimately, it's just he's he's just clearly a guy like it's not even worth like putting him into the conversation for anything, any property as far as I'm concerned. Yep. Uh, so with sort of the Edgar Wright idea sort of quickly, uh, you know, dismissed, Paramount put up a list of five directors that they were interested in uh, getting to the movie with a sixth option that was kind of debated amongst them. So that sixth option that wasn't officially on the list, but was talked about among Paramount executives was bringing back uh, Jonathan Frakes back to the director's chair of the Star Trek franchise. Um, especially with the eyes on the 50th anniversary of the franchise. Uh, the film was officially going to be delayed from a 2015 release to a 2016 release to that 50th anniversary. There was a debate about what Frakes had still directed. Was we like him still? He's still interested in Star Trek. He's still doing a lot of directorial work on TV. He hasn't really stopped. But eventually, you know, the kind of the Paramount executives that wanted a bigger name director sort of won out uh, at the end of the day. So the list, the main list of directors that Paramount wanted included uh, Rupert Wyatt, who, you know, had done that first Planet of the Apes reboot movie uh, and had still had a lot of uh, numbers off of that. Uh, Morton Tidham, who had just been nominated for an Academy Award for Intim uh, Imitation Game uh, and eventually would take the director's chair of the 2016 classic Passengers, um, everyone's favorite uh, Jennifer Lawrence movie. Fun fact, I was almost a production assistant on that movie. Fun. Yeah. Um, uh, Daniel Espinoza, who has been in the news recently as the uh, 
director of everyone's favorite 2022 film, everyone's favorite Spider-Man character, Morbius. Um, Wait, the living vampire? The living vampire, yes. Um, but at that point had done uh, Safe House, you know, kind of that sort of life yeah. of his career. Eventually would go on to do Life, the, the favorite, everyone's favorite Venom movie. Not um, a bad movie. No, not at all. Not a bad movie. Uh, Good twist. So then uh, Duncan Jones was also asked and considered. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's not uh, bad. And the last name on this list is the director who would eventually get the director's chair, uh, Justin Lin, um, who basically uh, was thrown into the director's chair essentially immediately once he was interested uh, in early 2015. Uh, and it's interesting going back because, like, obviously, like, Lynn is such a notable name now in uh, in directing, uh, but he had really gotten his his name uh, doing the Fast and the Furious franchise and sort of the Fast and the Furious franchise as it became the batshit insane mm-hmm. action films that, you know, they are now. Uh, and we talked about how interesting it is to go back and see like those first fast and the furious movies and then compare them to like the Lynn directed movies and just say like, this is where fast and the furious became fast and the furious. So there was already a lot of notable sort of that energy. And that was something that Paramount was really interested in looking for. Did you see that comment that like, I think a producer or somebody said like, they want to try to take fast and furious back to its roots. (laughs) And then everybody was like, no dude, you can't, why would you yeah, do? Dude. Why no, would you first do of all, that? Why would you? But also, like, no, 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 no. It's too late. Like, yeah, that is definitely you can't you can't put it back in the bottle after everything you've been doing. Once That's- you've made once you've made a movie like Hobbs and Shaw, like is just like a, even a spinoff that has that same just wild energy. Like you can't put it back in the bottle. You. It would be kind of a ballsy thing, though, to make the last Fast and the Furious film just like a, a really traditional street racing movie again. Like no big like cars jumping in the space or nonsense. If it was just I, like- I actually think you could probably do that, but then trick people. And then halfway through, like the cars are like, oh, it's like a Transformers crossover. Like it's like, <laughs> that's what it should be. That's would be incredible. <laughs> like a fa- like a legit fat like. Why can't we just hey like just let's all do multiverse shit like every company and just like that's just a mul- like the Fast and the Furious multiverse is a is a multiverse where Vin Diesel is inside Optimus Prime. Well, that was like you know there was like justice for Han and when he came back and my joke was like that was the reveal at the end of that movie was that Han survived because he came from another universe and then like he's like and then then Vin Diesel would be like he's like you mean there's other universes with more family. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, I do remember because ultimately, like, he got the job and it was one of those, it was kind of both obvious and contentious for a lot of people because there was, this is when I was starting to become aware of how Trek fans felt about Trek. So there was a, a lot of like, oh, fuck, now they really are just making it like an action franchise. But at the same time, there was also like this understanding of like, okay, well, we got to get away from JJ a little bit and revitalize this somehow. Yeah, because I get by this point, everybody had kind of turned on Into Darkness. Yeah, it was like again, Into Darkness had that like initial honeymoon period right when it came out. But just the more that people reflected on the film, 
the see you keep on saying that there was like this honeymoon period i don't remember anybody ever liking that movie <laughs> it's, it's weird because like again when you look at the actual discourse online at the time like the actual reviews and some of the stuff yeah, it was, you're probably right yeah it was sort of like yeah no this is still pretty fun and then it, i just think like it was one of those things where i think as soon as people started reflecting on how nonsensical the con stuff was it, it just sort of like just the dissipation of any interest in that movie. Yeah, no, that's fair. That is and, fair. and I would say that probably like the people that would be most critical of that movie are the harder core Star Trek fans. But I do think that there was a little bit of like a non Star Trek fan, like, Oh, I still like like the Kelvin timeline. I still like these characters. I still like the, the world, the action. But then just over time, it's just I think that that 2009 movie has only risen up in people's minds and that darkness. Yes. Has gone yeah, down. yeah. 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 Whereas I think mm-hmm. there was still that period where like, oh, yeah, it's still like a, a, a decent franchise. But Lynn was brought in. They liked, again, the energy of the direction. They thought it was just be like, this is kind of the movie we want to make. Um, and at the same time that Orsi left the director's chair, that team that was working on that initial version of the third Star Trek movie in this series also all left. So Paramount turned to uh, Simon Pegg uh, alongside television writer Do- uh, Doug Dong, <laughs> Doug Jung um, to, to, to work on the script. And Pegg's comments on how he came in was essentially, and Pegg has been very honest in, in all the interviews that he's made about this movie, uh, that he felt that when they were talking to him about bringing Pegg in to do the script work, that Paramount was worried that the script that they had had originally was too Star Trekky. That was too sort of like for, you know, kind of like the, like closer to like what that original series of films would have been and that they wanted Peg to sort of make it more inclusive to a wider audience. And, and Peg's notion of this was that, well, we want to do something original. We don't want to go back and do a villain again, from the original series. We don't want to do that element of it. I think we, we, we had that work with, with, with Khan and, and even sort of the, the Romulan stuff in that first movie, they wanted to kind of do something very original. They want to kind of take various aspects of other genres for the movie itself. But Peg's notion was like, okay, so we'll make it star Trek in sort of the little details, but the story itself will kind of be a broader action film, but we'll make it star Trek through the details and the characters. So that was kind of his, main point of uh, intention when when working on the script for this movie um and he was very excited to take on a movie of this size uh with his his writing ability and thought it was a big honor that paramount came to him to to work on the script itself um so with that, you know, obviously, like I'll mention the main cast uh, of the previous films are signed on through the third films, various deals renegotiated, you know, more money, all that sort of all the sort of normal stuff for kind of a franchise of this size. Um, Peg did say that one thing he did want to do when he was writing the script was he did want to involve Scotty a little bit more because in the previous two films, you know, Scotty, you know, first film he's introduced basically more than halfway through the movie. And then in the second film, he's away from the team again for a good majority of the movie. So one of the things that Peg was doing was that, well, I want to be more in the movie, as, especially if I'm writing it. So I'm going to give myself a little bit more of a, of a of screen presence in the film. Um, Carl Urban has also talked about how there was a part of him that 
after that second one, he felt satisfied and was wondering if he could like negotiate out of the deal to come back as bones. But he met with Justin Lin and was immediately like, Oh, this is going to be a, a new experience is going to be, he liked how Lin, you know, pitched his directing style and everything. So he was more kind of game to be on board with it. And then like, you know, Pine had become a bigger star. And again, there was a lot of sort of like, is this going to be it? You know, are they going to like go through this, this deal and, you know, basically say, okay, I'm done. We, we kind of already seen, you know, we've talked about Pine before, but Pine is in this period of his career. I think this is almost peak like Pine sort of dealing with being the big star and not really loving that part of, of being the kind of leading man character in, in the sense that like he had been through Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, this is before kind of in, in some ways like his how we kind of view him from wonder woman, you know, it's kind of around this era where he's kind of transitioning into working a little bit less and everything like that, but he is able to kind of come back and renegotiate the deal. Uh, same thing with Quinto. Like Quinto was said, he's loves playing Spock, but there, there is a part of him that thinks like, well, do I have to play this role forever? You know, he's interested in other stuff. Uh, so there was a lot of things like, well, if we're going to do this. Let's make it the, the best way possible, you know? Mm-hmm. Um. There are some other details within the characters. Um, John Cho comes back as Hikaru Sulu, and the decision is made with uh, Peg and Lynn after discussing it to make the character gay as a reference to, uh, in, in reference to the original Sulu. Uh, fans were not necessarily happy with it, even though they there was that idea it was like they appreciated the gesture, but felt like you know there w- should be more an original character as opposed to you know shifting a character that was sort of that debate. Um, but, uh, John Cho was also very adamant that, you know, he, he was happy to play, you know, a gay Sulu, but wanted his husband also be a Asian, uh, and the, and, and Sulu's husband, the movie was played by the writer, uh, Doug Jung. And of course, uh, unfortunately, uh, before the movie got to production, Leonard Nimoy did pass away, uh, and they decided to involve, uh, the character, uh, into the story, uh, not only as a, um, you know, tribute to Nimoy, but also as sort of a means of, of, of developing Spock's character uh, and, and sort of how this Spock views himself and views his, you know, his relationship with Spock Prime. Um, so there was uh, an intentional idea to include, uh, um, you know, the Nimoy tribute through uh, Spock's actions in the movie. Their early script discussions the Orsi version of the script uh was uh there were some discussions of Ryan F- bringing Shatner into the film Orsi was interested in that but once he moved away on from the Orsi version um it was uh decided not to pursue that function it's a polite way of putting that yes um and I guess it's I, I should mention it now this is also unfortunately the final Star Trek appearance of Anton Yelchin uh, yeah, who, that was who, the big one. Who yeah. tragically died uh, after the movie's uh, filming in, in a in a car accident. So um, there was a lot of, you know, emotion around that time for the crew, uh, even though he had completed all his parts. And there is a little tribute to him as well at the end of the movie. And the Anton Yelchin thing was like such like a like a I mean, obviously, the event itself was just a freak tragedy. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, if you I mean people can go look up what actually happened. Like, it's just one of those things where like life is just, just 
fucked up sometimes. Yeah. But it was like, I think what made that he is, it was interesting. I was, we, I was talking with somebody recently about every now and then you will get actors who feel like they really are like really breaking out just then. And then some, and then they get taken away from us too soon. Like, you know, you have your Heath Ledger's, your Chadwick Boseman's and, Anton Yelchin, like this was like the year, like the the few years where he was like really blowing up. Like, I mean, he was in like Green Room and like, and you know, he was like killing it as like, you know, it, it's always like you you realize like an actor has like their their indie cred as like actors, but then they also get like a big franchise thing, and you know that they can do both. And then you're like, fuck, where are they gonna go? And then like. And then unfortunately, like life just kicks you in the balls sometimes. And it's yeah, it's just, and that's why like everybody was upset about that one. Like like and the Leonard Nimoy was sad. But yeah, you know, I mean, you know, not to be crude, but like, you know, that, that was he was older. And unfortunately, like, you know, he passed on. And but the, the Anton Yelchin thing was just like a, I remember when that happened. Everybody was like, what? Yeah. No, so it was just one of those days where you just like you just your heart sank when you yeah, yeah, yeah. found out about it so it's uh which, uh, which kind of like and, and that's why and this is kind of skipping ahead a little bit it was like because you knew that and then but by that point like the movie had already been done yeah and i think they had kind of said that they had said like everything was kind of done and it didn't really compromise the movie anyway and then it became a pleasant surprise going into the movie, actually, how much he is in the movie. Mm-hmm. So, like, that that's kind of – so that was good. That was – Yeah, um, and like I said, the, the crew and cast loved Anton, and, and they've already announced that the, the role of Chekhov will not be recast uh, for the, the, the following movies. So uh, the character, at least in this Calvin timeline, is essentially retired as, an, as honor in honor of uh, Anton. Mm-hmm. Before we move on to the new cast, I also should mention that uh, a notable absence in the movie is uh, Alice Eve, uh, who does not return as Dr. Carol Marcus, uh, even though at the end of Star Trek in the Darkness, she was on the Enterprise crew as they started their five-year mission. Peg said it just came down to when they were writing the script, he just couldn't find a suitable, satisfactory role for her that wouldn't relegate her to a background position, um, and said that there Alice Eve was game to come back, and she could always come back in another movie, but it's just like, Peg just felt like she he just didn't have a role for her in this movie. Um, but we do have our new cast of characters. Um, our villain of the film as uh, Idris Elba uh, as uh, Krull, a sort of alien creature that the revelations about him we will discuss as we get into the movie itself. Um, Elba was very excited to do the the makeup thing and, and do sort of the, the alien creature idea. In, in that same way that we've talked about other actors in this franchise um, before, where there's such thing, there's something about a, a freeingness of playing a different face, of being a completely different being. Um, and uh, Eldra, uh, Idris Elba said he, he kind of liked going all in on, on the performance and, and doing sort of the, the, the language and the voice. And, and that was something that was very fun. Uh, for him to do. And uh, Idris Elba is a hot topic right now, uh, lauded for his role as Knuckles in, in Sonic 2. But it, it does seem like Elba is one of those people that, yes, he has like, you know, his serious roles, but like he's someone who does seem that likes to have fun as well. Like he, he, he has a nice smattering of like the more serious roles, the more badass roles, but also these type of kind of like high energy sort of 
crazy. No, I mean, if you've role. seen his body of work, he he definitely has a healthy sense of like play and like you know, um, it, it's very Samuel Jackson that way. Yes, where it's yeah. not necessarily because I know there have been things like sometimes he can be like kind of maybe a little bit critical of like his time in like the MCU or something. But like when you look at his body of work, I think it's more so, you know, he has his opinions, but he clearly doesn't really, he doesn't turn his nose up at things like doing knuckles in Sonic or something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he'll go, he'll go all into those roles. Like he'll, he'll like, he'll be like this alien creature. He'll, he'll like go in on the knuckles voiceover. Like he gives that big performance when he needs to, you know, despite the fact of like how great, you know, he is just even in more serious roles. And also like when he throws himself into something like this, when, you know, he's very much a very handsome man, you know, yeah. to, to kind of, <laughs> but, to, but to really throw himself into sort of a makeup type role, like a prosthetic mm-hmm. type role like this, it was something that he, he was just very much into. Um, and, and also giving him an opportunity to, to really work with Lynn as a director. Again, he thought that it was something that was very interesting. And then our other major new cast in this movie is uh, Sofia Putella as uh, Jayla, um, the sort of alien, uh, you know, kind of that has made this kind of plant they crash on her. Her home has made a home of this previous old school Star Trek, uh, you know, this uh, Federation ship. Um, the, the, the story of the creation of this character always amuses me. It's just really funny to me. Um, so Peg has said in interviews that from moment one that he and Doug were on the script, Simon knew that he wanted to create sort of a, a dynamic female character to, to interact with on the cast. Um, and in his mind, Peg kept going to this idea of like, let's do a Star Trek version of Jennifer Lawrence and Winter's Bone. He just loved that character and loved that movie. And it was just on his mind. So when they were doing the initial treatments and the initial scripts and emails to each other, the character didn't have a name. They always referred to this character as Jennifer Lawrence and Winter's Bone. And then Peg was like, well, it, it, it got really wordy to write that every time. So we just shortened the character when we were referring to the character as J-Law, which was, you know, her nickname, which eventually turned into <laughs> J-Law being the official name of the character. I did not know that. That's funny. So That's good. That was, like that. that was how that character was created. There were, you know, discussions about casting Jennifer Lawrence in the role just because, you know, Peg did have her in mind when he was writing it. But this was, again, peak era. Jennifer Lawrence is in everything. She's already doing, you know, she's already doing these X-Men films. She's doing Hunger Games. You know, she, she was in every sort of franchise. This was the Chris Pratt, Jennifer Lawrence era where she was just all over the place. Um, so it's just like the schedule was not going to work. <laughs> Which is also funny because they were in a movie together. Passengers. Yeah, they, they would eventually, uh, she would eventually sign on to Passengers instead. Yeah. Like that was one of. Let's just talk like, about Passengers. <laughs> let's just like let's just review Passengers. Um, um, but then uh, eventually the role goes to uh, Sofia Patella, uh, and Peg was very inspired by the fact that Patella was not, you know, French was her first language, not English, and so that kind of French accent and and sort of uh, you know her discussions with Peg about the role. 
led to Peg kind of rewriting the role to kind of have a little bit more of a, a broken English type tone to it. You know, that she, the, the more, em- the more emphasized the fact that she kind of learned this language from the ship as opposed to being a native language. But often we talk about like, you know, tracking stardom and like the people who are in like these types of movies too. I mean, like, Sophia Patella was one of those people where had a standout role in another movie and then it was just a matter of time before like okay she's gonna be in other things yeah so like the big thing like her big like breakout was in kingsman which we've talked about on this podcast before yeah yeah it was like so that was like the big breakout role and she had screen presence and clearly had like the capability of being like this graceful fighter she has like a, a background in dance so the fact that like okay she's in a star trek movie um and we'll get into like the character but like has like a pretty awesome alien design yes and it was just kind of one of those things where it's like just made sense to me like i was like yeah sure like of course this is made 100 uh sense the type of character she was that she was in it and and uh yeah Oh, hundred percent. And uh, again, something that she kind of throws herself into the role and being again, this makeup character and just having a, a lot of fun with sort of the, the comedy of her character, but also sort of that, that deeper drive uh, for the character as well. Um, yeah. And then, uh, Hey, even though Abrams isn't in the movie, Greg Gumberg is in the movie. Uh, he is. Yeah. I, I thought about that. My first thing I was like, Oh, he is actually physically in the movie that JJ didn't do. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, uh, Daniel Putty as well makes a cameo and, uh, allegedly, uh, Wait, does he? Yeah. He's somewhere. Uh, I think he's also in that room with the, uh, you know, with the, and on the, on the Yorktown Federation. Oh, um, interesting. Thing. And then also uh, he's the get... same character from Winter Soldier. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, Jeff Bezos also put on some alien makeup. Is he and... really? Yeah, he's not like a major thing. He's like literally on the background somewhere. It, but it's he... like, what is the most like what is the most random Kelvin cameo in these movies? Heather Langenkamp, maybe. Yeah. Or Jeff Bezos, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Jeff Bezos seems like the guy where it's like, I'm rich. If I want to be in a Star Trek movie, I'm going to be in a Star Trek movie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he seems like that guy where it's just like, especially like 2016, like where he's really becoming like this, like richest dude in the world. You know, he paid, and- he paid for that entire day of production that they yeah. could write that off of production. He's like, all right, well, if I'm going to have a cameo, I'm going to pay for that day of production. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, most of the filming for this movie took place in Vancouver. This is actually the first film that uh, had no real shooting in Hollywood. Um, a lot of the on-location shooting, especially for the planet, was taking place in the forests and mountains of Vancouver. Uh, so uh, Paramount decided just to ship all the previous Star Trek sets over to the, the you know the Vancouver you know, film studios over there and just kind of focus the production on that would be a little bit cheaper to just keep everything over there. Um, The Yorktown station itself, um, especially sort of the on location areas of Yorktown were all in Dubai. Uh, And the Yorktown name is one of the first of many little Star Trek references and Star Trek history references that Peg put in the movie as Yorktown is named after the original name for the Enterprise in the early Roddenberry draft documents of Trek before uh, he changed it from the USS Yorktown to the USS Enterprise. Um, so another thing that Peg wanted to do uh, with the movie, and especially like uh, it was nice that Peg 
and Lynn were so close and Peg was on set so that they could do all these little, you know, tweaks as they do on, on a movie like this. Uh, but Peg was very much interested in kind of putting together very much different pairings. You know, obviously we get the Bones and McCoy pairing, which is a classic, but he was excited to have like, you know, we, we see Kirk and Chekhov, you know, have a big pairing in the movie. And then as well um, as, uh, I almost called her Zendaya for whatever reason. Zoe Saldana, um, which I would like to see Zendaya in a Star Trek movie. Wait, what? How are you getting those two confused? No, no, no. In my head, I was, I don't know why. I just thought of the name Zendaya. I wasn't getting them confused. My mm. head just said Zendaya in my head. Um, I, oh. I've been talking a lot about Zendaya with uh, my girlfriend recently. Um, oh, well. How much I, I enjoy her in Spider-Man No Way Home, which I just got on Blu-ray. Um, She's pretty good in that. Yeah, so John Cho and Zoe Saldana get the get the team up, and again, that's not like a a normal uh, a Sulu and Uhura combination. It's not normally a thing that you get to see. So they were very excited to um uh to get that together. And again, Lin, you know, from his experience on those Fast and the Furious films, was very eager to mix in some practical stuff with the the CG stuff. So. Uh, like the motorcycle sequence that's in the movie was very much a Lynn push concept um, sort of like to, to push the edges of like what you can do with the motorcycle running around and, and having the uh, you know, the CG that augments that and all the different things that happen in that sequence, but having that motorcycle there and pine on the motorcycle stuff like that was very, very important to uh, uh, Lynn to kind of have that on. And everybody just talks about how fun Lynn is a director. That's one of the things that Carl Urban talked about when he talked about how he was like kind of debating coming back. And he was glad to come back because Lynn's just a very fun director to work with and is very open with his actors uh, and very energetic on set. You know, all the things you would expect from like a Lynn directed movie. Uh, but yeah, Paramount was setting this up to be the big 50th anniversary uh, screening of the movie as you know, the Star Trek franchise originated with the first season of the series in 1966. So the film, you know, beyond the uh, the script delays was officially delayed to 2016 to officially celebrate the, the 50th anniversary of the franchise. Um, and the um, film was basically kind of smoothly made to come out in the summer of 2016 with a release date of uh, July 22nd, 2016. That's bad. I mean, that's, that's it. I mean, like uh, in terms of like getting the crew together was kind of the most biggest part of this thing. And obviously sort of Paramount's enjoyment of the franchise and again, setting it up for the 50th anniversary, but otherwise like Lynn generally speaking is sort of known for kind of these smoother productions. Um, you know, as long as Vin Diesel's behaving and not like calling out the rock, which I mean, you know, could happen in any fast and the furious movie at this point. Um, <laughs> Lynn is, uh, and that's why, that's why people like working with Lynn. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons Paramount was eager to work with Lynn is just knowing that his productions, you know, he's just, he's just a well, you know, disciplined director in many ways, even with the energy of his films, he, he gets those films out on time. He gets those budgets, you know, out on time. People like working with Lynn and 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 Star, a movie like Star Trek Beyond is one of those reasons why. Yeah. And I think that's that's enough about uh, the production. Obviously, also Michael Chikino comes back, but you know, at this point, if if it's a Star Trek movie and Chikino's not on it, that's that's more of the surprise. Yeah, I think it would be like, oh, Chikino didn't work on something would be yeah. like more news than anything else. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 
Is he doing Doctor Strange too? That is actually a really good question here. Or Let me look it, that up real quick. Or, or is it Elfman? That's a real no, no. You're right. That that is because there's no way the theme is not in it. Yeah, it'll probably if he isn't, then it will probably be in. Hold on, sorry, folks. I'm gonna look this up real quick before we talk about the movie that we're actually talking about because I'm I won't be able to get this out of my head. Um, here we go. Because like Elfman has done like oh hopped onto a project and has like done the use the theme. Because Elfman's like all about like using themes. Right. So he would respect that at least. Okay, so I'm on IMDB. It's Elfman, yeah. Well, I mean, it's the same Raimi production, so I'm not yeah. particularly. It'll surprised. probably be like theme by Giacchino and yeah. then like the score by Elfman. So yeah, for sure. That'll be fun. All right, so should we talk about this movie then? Yeah, let's, let's get into a movie that uh, Michael Giacchino did do the score for, that Justin Lin did do the movie for, Simon Pegg did write. Um, it's Star Trek Beyond. No come back. <laughs> but we certainly showed them, eh, lassie? <laughs> now, that's Starfleet property, okay? Can I just take it? Uh, but I'm feeling generous today, so I'll have at it. Where you get that? Is that English? I learned it from my house. Where you get that? It's my Starfleet insignia. What does it mean? It means that I'm an officer of Starfleet's uh, engineering division. Engineering? Aye, that's right. I, I fix things. I know what is engineering. You know with those bastards that killed my ship, are you? <clears throat> I'll take that as a no. He is crawl. Him and his bees. The search the stars for her. Death machine. They're the reason why you're here. Why we are all here. Oh, even those three scanners? <sighs> they have fallen from the sky, like me and you. Come with me. Now. Wait, now hang on a minute, Lassie. I'm having a difficult day here. I've got to find my crewmates. I will help you find your mates. And then you will help me. With what? You want me to fix something? Yes, you help me, and I help you. All right, well, things being as they are, I doubt I'll get a better offer today, so lead the way. Good. I am Jayla, and you are Montgomery Scott. Aye, Scotty. Come now, Montgomery Scotty. And we are back from the quote, and we, it is time to discuss the most recent entry in the Star Trek film franchise to finish up uh, this series of films um, with, with uh, what we've been discussing. And I was very happy to revisit this film. I remember seeing it in theaters 2016. I loved it then, and I love it now. This is my favorite of the three Kelvin films. It is one of my favorite Star Trek films out of all of them. I just really like watching this movie. I love the characters. I love Lynn's energy and the direction. I love the choices. And I, I just think I like, you know, what 2009 did with the, with the time travel. I think when we were watching it, it really appreciated sort of how that movie comes together. And like, again, there are more elements of Star Trek in the Darkness I figured out I liked. But again, that movie just has a lot of flaws because of its holding on to sort of the, the con stuff and, and sort of the, the time travel stuff. 
I just found this refreshing that, yes, it still references sort of the Calvin verse nature of things and how the characters are slightly different. But I, I just felt refreshing to be back at sort of just a, a Star Trek adventure. They're on a planet there. There's like a mystery involved. They have to get off the, you know, that sort of thing. It, it felt very much like, you know, sort of a bigger version of a episode of the show. This is again, like a sort of the D make idea where it's like, you could imagine something similar to this in a, in, in like a season two or three of the original Star Trek series, just at a much different version of it. I just really love the story of this movie. I love sort of the tone of this movie. I love, I really do like this movie a lot. And it, 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 it's something that I'm very, I'm very happy to rewatch uh, at any given time. It's really good. It, it, it's really good. <laughs> like it, it, it's like, and I, I, I put it in like, it's a gem of a movie. Like it's just a really solid fun movie. I, I think that I think Oh nine is still my favorite of the three. Um, and this gets a lot of things back on track. There's some plot things that like, and really weird that things I probably shouldn't care about the kind of like make things a little weird, mm-hmm. but when rewatching it again, like there's so much good stuff in it. Like, it's just like, it's just a solid space adventure. There's great payoffs. There's some interesting plot stuff, but what I really enjoyed when rewatching it this time was just like, there's some really good character moments too. Like there's some great bones and Spock stuff in this. Um, Oh yeah. Oh absolutely. yeah. Um, There's some, there, there are, there is some like good Scotty stuff. Um, Kirk continues to be, continues to be great. Um, And I mean, again, skipping ahead, but just like, I mean, Sophia Batella is just, just great. Yeah, she's so much fun. Like just and I, and so her, much fun. And her and Peg bouncing off each other is really great too. When they first like meet up with each other, I think again, I think this is some of Peg's strongest work out of the three as well because he just gets the most to do finally in these movies. I, I do think my my if I had to really hone in on like maybe one big criticism, I think that Idris Elba's crawl is the name of the character yes is a very in is a very good idea for a character that is overly plotted Mm -hmm. it would be my one criticism of the movie and i think that's kind of like the central criticism i have like i think that there are some overly plotted stuff yes but like it's just it's just a, it's just enjoyable. It's just like fun. Like, and there's so many good, like little character things. Like I found myself laughing so many times rewatching it. Um, and it has a great third act payoff of something. Yeah. <laughs> like, like with I think the, you didn't even uh, think like you needed to be paid off, but like, no, no, it, not at all. Like it wouldn't have been like, it wouldn't have been a second thought if it wasn't paid off, but the fact that it is, is incredible and it is one of the best scenes in any of these three movies for sure yeah yeah and um yeah it was just i i i really i knew so we we had gone all we we had seen this in theaters when it came out and i think everybody was on board that like that was real that was just a really enjoyable movie yeah and re-watching it again i completely like i i still feel the same way and then maybe my some of my specific reactions are now a little different from 
revisiting the entire franchise and like and then like kind of engaging with it in a different way and right there there's still there's still some stuff with that that's like that is it's 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 good it's just it's a good movie yeah that's why i mentioned it a little bit in sort of the beginning part of this episode but like one of the things i did appreciate more from watching it now having become a, a more knowledgeable fan of the star trek universe I really love the way that they do the little Star Trek references and moments. And I think like, like obviously like darkness is its whole different thing because it's, it's big villain is a reference, but like, just like sort of how, like once you do darkness and you see like, okay, how they're referencing Khan and like the Khan scream, like all that sort of stuff where it's like so heavy handed and like the famous moments are like the ones that are referenced where it's like, this movie does a lot of small little things where it's like, just a little bit from a previous episode or a previous movie. Like the fact, like one of my favorite little moments when of just realization was when, you know, there's a moment where there's the, the, the USS Franklin, which is like kind of the, the ship that's crashed on this planet that they find like this old Starfleet ship. And they were talking about like what people thought happened to the ship. And at one point Peg's like, yeah, some people thought it was, you know, like some people right, thought it yeah. was the Romulans and some people thought it was a giant green hand took it. And I'm like, yeah, oh, that's yeah, a reference to the, the Apollo episode of the original series. Like, that's really great. Or like early in this movie, like the, this whole running bit about them being surprised that Chekhov is a whiskey guy and not a vodka guy is specifically a reference to Trouble with uh, Trouble with Tribbles, where, you know, Chekhov has this whole thing about how like whiskey was actually a Russian invention, which is, again, something referenced at the end of the movie. Just like a little bit of like that's a that's a deep character pull of just something that was like a reference a little bit in the original series and like has become canon with like Star Trek fans, like, Oh, Chekhov's a whiskey guy. And it becomes like a little bit where it's like, you don't need to know that's from the original series, but it's nice to know that they have those type of references. Well, I mean, but, and I think this is kind of, this is what you're alluding to is that unlike into darkness, it doesn't feel like a pandering fan thing. Like it just feels like there's these, all these, like, instead of being like, let's reference trouble tribbles other than like, what are you doing with that triple? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, so like there, there are a lot of things like that, that, that work. And it, it actually makes the, the universe feel lived in and bigger in yes. a way that Star Trek into darkness didn't feel in, yes. a, in, a, in a strange way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, but, and again, it's a fact that they're doing like kind of an original planet an original villain, original story allows you a little bit more of that freedom where you're not, you know, like you're not beholden to feeling like, well, we have to reference these other things because it's, you know, this character and like that has this thing. It's like you have that freedom to like let the characters, the original crew be the original crew, like this version of it. And again, like that comes back to that strength of that first movie, especially, which is where like they, they really did a good job in, in 2009 of really honing in on the essence of those characters with different actors. And I felt like this movie did a very good job of continuing that thread of these movies where it does feel like that original crew just you know with a with a different cast mm-hmm. in its place yeah yeah because so like because the general plot of the film like or the idea behind the film is like they're like how many years into the five-year they're journey like, they're like three years in the yeah. five-year journey uh and like you know kirk is having a little ennui sort of just like you know every day is episodic and you know, they, they kind of like he's kind of lost the luster of just like that exploration. And he's considering transferring to an admiral's position. Uh, and at the same time, you know, Spock, you know, finds out the death of Spock Prime and wonders that if his place is is doing 
you know, Sprock Prime's work on on new Vulcan and, and rebuilding the Vulcan race. So the 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 crew is kind of at a crossroads in a in a way that's that's super interesting uh in, in terms of like kind of you know where those characters are and again even like just a little bit of like you know kirk's considering of taking an admiral's position like being that reference to you know the main kind of plot threads of you know wrath of khan onwards which is just sort of his regret in doing that and sort of seeing that sort of where that decision comes from where there's a little bit of uh like well you know maybe i'm like not enjoying this as much and and you know, maybe there is something bigger for me, but you know, that kind of, that kind of, and, and it's, it's, it's a smart story decision. Cause it, is it in this movie where he's like, like I took, like I joined Starfleet on a dare is like the big kind of thing that yes. he says. Yeah. Yes. Like it's like, so it wasn't like he was like, you know, it, it, it's an interesting, a very valid and interesting story direction to take it. And yeah. then obviously all of it leads into what the purpose of Starfleet is and like why be on this type of mission and how that fits in with the villain. And like, it, it all ties together in, yeah. in, in, in a, in a weird way, but then, you know, so they go, you know, so that's kind of like the idea behind the movie. Like the plot of the movie is that, you know, they get a distress call and then they end up stranded on a planet and that's kind of and like all separated the, and they have to come back together. Yeah. And there's again, a lot of interesting parries that come out of that. So, and, and again, it's just like, None of the and it's something that really none of these Trek movies have done, which is obviously a staple of the the original series is like the planet, the planetary adventure, the planetary excursion. Like many of these films, like the, the closest you have to like a we're going on a planet and doing stuff is like Star Trek three with the Genesis planet and, you know, or going to like where God is in Star Trek five, you know, a little bit in the, you know, in the Generations movies, they do that stuff in Insurrection. But like it just it just feels like a refreshing concept for the actual film franchise that there really hasn't been a movie like this where they're on a planet and they have to get off and they have to figure out the 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 mystery of the planet and like what's going on and like that sort of thing. It's just like a nice like old school Trek trope that feels refreshing. Well, admittedly, it's almost refreshing to the point that you got it. You you almost like have to reel from it at least for me because. Like, and this viewing made me realize, like, how um, interesting and refreshing those pairings were. So, like, the pairings are, like, you know, Sulu and Ahura and Chekhov and Kirk and Scotty on his own with the new character. Um, and then the most rewarding of them is Bones and, uh, and, and uh, Spock, which is legacy-wise not the most surprising but it's smart because it's the first time in this franchise that you really get to develop their relationship. And you do realize like how good those guys are. I think in the past I had been critical of like, of, of uh, Quinto as these movies went on, but like rewatching this, like he's, he is pretty good. I mean, he is paired with like the saving grace of the entire franchise, which is Carl Urban's bones. And it just who it, continues to be incredible. And, it, and again, <laughs> it's like one of those things that's a reminder of why these original crew members are so good, because like, I think you really do capture that. Like people forget, right? Like people know the Kirk Spock relationship and people know to an extent, like, you know, how bones is important to Kirk, but a backbone of that original series is sort of the, the bantering and the, and the kind of, the married couple type bickering that happens between Spock and bones. And obviously like sometimes bones can dig into like that green blooded and human thing, but it is like a very 
intrinsical part of that triumvirate of those three characters. And they, they really get a chance to see Urban go full bones and, and Quinto be that full Spock in terms of their relationship with each other, it is so fun. And it's such a fun little pair. Yeah. My, my, I still love that scene. I always think about it when, um, it, cause it's like, I mean, and, and it's one of those moments that actually is pretty smartly written because like about how they, the barbs they trade also like also include like the different languages like because you always hear like you know bones making fun of the way spock talks so there's kind of like these funny little things about these slight ways in which spock makes fun of the way bones talk so it's like he's like i don't understand like why like why would they go through all this trouble for some sort of doodad <laughs> like spock's like and he's like i think it would be safe to assume doctor that this is more than a doodad <laughs> Like, or, or or like the the horse shit like the bit shit. like yeah about, yeah that. I was about to say like or it's just like like there's a little bit where like you know Bones says it's horse shit and then like Spock kind of takes it you know his literally like, yeah, yeah but then later you know Bones is like you know has to take like a piece of shrapnel or whatever has to do like a medical thing out of out of Spock and they do like kind of like oh I'm gonna do it on three and then he pulls it out on two and it's like Bones is like well they they say it's less painful if it's a surprise and then Spock's like well it's a line he's like. If 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 I had uh, adopted parlance with which you are familiar, I can confirm that your theory is horseshit. And it's like that's exactly what these characters are. That's no, it's banter. good. It's, it's so good. good. And it and it reminded me of like the old school original trilogy, like you know, try and it, it kind of reminded you of like other than them kind of teasing each other, like you really haven't seen them spend time with each other um, in these movies and all that time together is really dealt with like very good in, in this film, I thought. And because they, they, they do the smart thing of giving them both like a comedic scene and a serious scene, because like, then they're like, Oh, Spock's opening up with like how he's feeling and about like his, and, um, and uh, what's it called? Um, and like with Spock prime's death and like, you know, he's thinking about leaving the enterprise and it's also really good because it's like they don't kind of just resort to like Bones like constantly making fun of him too. Like so then you're kind of like, oh, Bones like is a good dude. Like it's like oh, he uh, and sort of the realization that like even with like you know they they don't always see eye to eye. You know Bones knows how important Spock has become to Kirk, right? And that that's that whole sort of thing where it's like you know he knows that like it will be devastating to the crew, but Kirk will be you know devastated as well that like you know he's lost his par partner and sort of that you know showcasing the the spock where it's like well you are important you're an integral part of this you know ecosystem that we have you're an important part of this friendship that we that we have as a crew and and sort of that realization and that being spock's energy throughout the movie and his kind of i, I have to say though like it, it all leads to maybe my one of my favorite jokes of the movie that i like it, it was just i love little payoffs like this and i know it's jumping way ahead but like eventually like they get to a part in the movie where they're like because like through the the plot of the movie like bones and um or is it spock i think it was only spock but they end up in one of the enemy ships at one point like very yes. briefly yeah no yeah and then like and then so later in the movie like spock's like well i'm gonna have to do that again because i'm the one who knows their ships and then he's like and then they're like well you're injured so like you know i don't know if that's like the same and then spock's like well perhaps it would be uh, perhaps it would be preferable to bring somebody not only familiar with the insides of the ship but also familiar with my injury <laughs> and then there's just this pause and this look and kirk's like 
oh, he's going to love this. And I was dying of laughing. And the reason it's not only funny and why I have to point it out is because at this point, the movie and really the franchise has done a really good job of you liking these versions of the characters, no matter what you think of the movies up until this point. Like the that joke only works if you know who these characters are. Yes, and and I, and I have to give credit. Like like a bit like that plays on well, such like a fun some, surface level. That is easily something that could have been in like something like uh, you know Wrath of Khan or something. Right, like, right, yeah, that, exactly. Yeah. Exact, like it would yeah. be played a little bit differently, but that exact exchange, like you could imagine, chat like you know you know Nimoy giving the little like eyebrow and Shatner being like. Oh, he's going to love, you know, that that's easy to imagine. And that's why I love the way that they write these characters. That's why these movies I've appreciated them more, especially now having watched all the original series and rewatched all these films is that they do really kind of capture what I love about the original series crew. Like I love these dynamics so much. It, it remind speaking of the old films, remind me, is this the first Kelvin movie where he start where Spock starts calling him Jim? It might be. I, because, I, I like, I what, I, yeah, I haven't been uh, like paying attention, but he does use the term captain a lot as well. Yeah, in this movie, at one point, he says like I forget exactly the context, but he calls him Jim at one point, and I felt I felt like this like very surprising like tug at my heartstrings that yeah. he called him Jim. I was like, oh, he's the Spock. He's the Spock that we know and love. Like so, like it, it was just I thought that was, and I couldn't remember if they had started doing that in Into Darkness, but. Like I was like when he called him Jim, I was like, yes, 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 that's there. And, and and they and it's interesting. Spock is interesting in this film because Kirk definitely has the most textual arc where it's yes. like very clear, like he's facing off with this character who's turning his back on Starfleet. And Kirk realizes like he actually he actually doesn't mind Starfleet. Like that's kind of like yeah. ultimately where it goes to. And Spock's whole arc is kind of like this very deceptively subtle arc where, because his whole thing in the movie is like, I should live the life that Spock, that Spock Prime lived. And at the end of the movie, you find out that the one of the passed on possessions from Spock Prime given to our Spock, Kelvin Spock, is the photograph of him and the crew. Yes. So in a way, they're kind of implying like that was like a very integral part of this Spock. Right, because I, th I think the thing that like you see, like especially as Spock Prime would see him, right? He's talked about like the importance of this crew and being there. But Spock Prime. And that's what Spock Prime wanted him to do. Right, ultimately, but, if you remember the first movie. Right. And, and Spock Prime, though, is like he's been this vision of like the like this is when he's ambassador Spock. This is when like he's going to New Vulcan. He's trying to save Romulus at the, you know, in, in the first movie. Like he's trying to do all these things to, like to bring peace and, and to bring you know that to the galaxy and you know and i think that's that that it's sort of that they do have a similar thing where they kind of lose like oh i i can only find this piece outside of star trek i can find like my purpose outside of this ship outside the, outside the confines of the enterprise when it's really both of them come to realize it's like the enterprise is what makes them them right and, and is a big part of sort of what they can do for the universe but it's very deceptive because they don't really textualize it in like yeah. a very obvious way like they do with the kirk thing so like that was like the biggest reward of a rewatch was like the spock stuff worked way more i mm -hmm. thought 
Um, yes. And there was like some funny, there was some really, really funny Spock stuff. Like I was just kind of thrown by how much like, cause I had been critical of Quinto in this role going forward, but this was the one where I was starting to see more of maybe not Nimoy, but like the Spock that Nimoy played. Yes. Because because like the thing about the Spock that Nimoy played was like there was a bit of like levity to the character as it went on. Like, you mm-hmm. know, that's just how well he and hit. So like just little things about like the the necklace he gives Ahura. Oh, that whole bit, right. So good. Yeah. So <laughs> it's the whole the whole bit is that at you know where uh Uhura and Sulu are, they're basically kind of imprisoned by our villains. And it's like they have to go rescue everybody from the prison and, and get them on this sort of old school Star Trek, you know, the Starfleet ship, like uh, from, you know, sort of the early days of the uh, the Starfleet. But it's like hard to like triangulate positions into that. It's hard to escape that camp. It's hard to triangulate positions. They don't even really know where it is. And then Spock's like, well, I, I gave her her this like ancient Vulcan necklace and, and the little radiation from it, like, lets me kind of know her, you know, know her location. And well, well the was- line is the line is like there's radiation in it. And then he's like, you gave your girlfriend radioactive jewelry. It's like, no, the radiation is so is, is so minimal. It's harmless. It's just that you can use the the signal to track it wherever it is. It's like, so you gave your girlfriend a tracking device. <laughs> And then there's this pause, and he's like, "What was the lie?" Like, he's like that was not my intention. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then it's, and, and then it's, um, Bones kind of goes back because he started with the whole thing where it's like, "I gave it as a sign of respect." And then Bones is like, "Well, I'm glad he doesn't respect me." Like, yeah. And then there's that little like eyebrow raise, like that kind of like, like it doesn't quite phase him, but yeah. like he's still kind of like, it's just good. It was just like, I, I it, that was the most rewarding thing about rewatching this was the Spock stuff. Mm-hmm. I really, I really enjoyed. Um, can I talk about Jayla? Yes. J- like, so fucking delightful what? in this yeah, movie. It's just like, that's the type of character that is so fun to just see. Like, just the the performance is great. The, the humor that you get out of the character is great. The her her drama about like, you know, losing the family and like be stuck on this planet and wanting to get out. It, 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 she plays it so well, but Tella gets to go that whole range of emotion with the character. Well, I, I think for me, what I noticed was like, there's a real art and a skill to writing and performing essentially kind of a one note character because, and, and, and what I mean by that is like, it's funny because like I, we had kind of alluded to, uh the the new sonic movie which i did see and um is a is a delightful little movie um but you know they have the character of knuckles in that and in the, the way that they play it and they write it and the idris elba performs it is like very much like a like the very literal like it's like that like drax and guardians of the galaxy like the character who's like super like a warrior but like super literal and like is like doesn't understand like modern parlance and things like that yeah and it's funny because when you think about it, like it shouldn't work as well as it does because the jokes are always all obvious, but they just make it work. And Sophia Batella is really, really good and really likable and really charming. I, and they find some really smart workarounds like about like, like what was it like? Oh, you speak our language. It's like, wait, you speak English? And she's like, my house taught it to me and you don't know what that means. And then you find out that she's living in an old... um an old like the 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 Franklin, the, an old yeah. Starfleet ship that is like teaching her 
teaching her English and and they really tastefully modulate the whole like what she understands and how in like the rudimentary way in which she understands it but they don't dumb I think the thing is like they never dumb down the character right like they may always make her like that she's smart it's just maybe there's just some leaps in language that she does like I like I when every time she says I like the beats and the shouting <laughs> with the music I'm like protect her at all costs <laughs> like, like it's like i like the beats and the shouting <laughs> like with the when they're talking about the music like i like it but like a really just like just a good addition like a yeah. good new star trek character i thought yeah and i just thought it was fun and like you know she gets to do some of the the fighting that she she yeah liked, you know and like that choreography that's really that's really fun like i again just like she gets to go with the do some interactions with scotty she gets and the, like, and the look with kurt the look of the character too is just like oh, such a great alien look. That's what I love too. I love. I, I felt like there was a lot of real, like even background alien work in this movie, and like the what the one the one girl with like the 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 head the, the um the face hugger head that opens yeah, up. Yeah, 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 like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Like, that, that's the one I always remember with the, with, with this movie. But, but yeah. I felt like that was one of the things that, again that makes it feel Star Trekky is like you have this ability to do all these cool makeups and aliens and races and like do them because they're fun to see and like you there's a lot in the background of the yorktown set there's a you know again we get we, we talk about like you know what what crawls people look like but i think like just the butella yeah the the jayla look i think is super fun just like it's very simple too it's a very simple alien design but it's just like the white with the kind of the black little makeup markings like it just it just is so pleasing on the eyes. Yeah, yeah. And then just the way in which, like, it, it's just funny. Like, it's just they wrote and performed that character so well. They don't overdo any of the tropes. Yes. I think that was, like, the thing that kind of struck me about it. It's, like, they don't overdo, like, the literal warrior trope. Like, yes. that's well modulated. They give her some, uh, like, in many ways, she is the heart of the movie. Yeah, which is like I, I just like just good all around. Like I, I like yeah. I remembered I, liking her, and then like just rewatching it, I'm like she is just such a delightful character. And, and it's it's like one of those things where like she gets you know what it reminded me of a lot it, in a very different way. It reminded me of sort of like that energy of like a character like uh, our lead, our lead female in the Voyage Home, right? Where it's just like you get a different character to interact with everybody. And then, like, it's kind of really nice at the end when she gets to join kind of Starfleet and kind mm -hmm. of ha and have that journey of, like, finding, you know, her way off and finding a purpose and finding, you know, something that she can dig herself into. I, I, I just there's like a nice journey to that. And it kind of reminded me of like this, like, again, a very different character. But talking about, like, you know, seeing like the whale biologist and how she interacts with everything and, and her interactions with Kirk and Spock and, and, and kind of how she helps at the end. And, like, it felt like that same sort of refreshing energy as well. Like, just from having a character that is like outside the main crew kind of like, you know, integrate herself so well. I, I also love the, um, the end when she has all the drinks in front of her. And yes. she's like, they said it was supposed to take my edge off. My edge is not off. <laughs> like, there is something like, it should not work, but like, and again, like I, I think about Drax and I just talked about, like, I just saw Sonic and Knuckle. like, it's like, it's all about performance. Yeah, like, it really it shouldn't work as well as it does, but it really is like, and it's kind of a cheat because you're kind of like, you're, you're, you're leaning on like the kind of like the innocence of their, it's not them being dumb, but it's like right. them being like, 
I don't know the right word for it, but you know what I mean. Like, you it's know, kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah naive. Like, there's a yeah. certain naivety to them that, like, and then like, there's that moment when they finally leave the planet. And, and I like the direction of the movie. Like, they didn't forget that that was, the fact that she left that planet is a moment that had to get paid in some way. And yeah. there's that moment where she leaves and she's looking out the window and she has, like, that that moment where she's like, fuck. I got off the planet. Yes. Right. And it's like, it, it's probably like in, in a weird way. It, it's, it's very telling that for me, like I, this was the first time I had seen this movie since theaters. Yeah. And all that stuff was like the thing I remember the most, like the Jayla stuff is the stuff that stands out in my brain mm-hmm. the most. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a really fun addition of a character. Yeah. And again, I think like, again, I think it's like, she gets to really bounce off like almost everybody in some way or another especially like kirk and, and scotty especially but even like she has little moments with like the, the crew yeah. and i think that that's what that's a character where it's like you know that's just fun to just kind of have and, and just a, a, again a real outsider to like be like you know reacting to everybody and great chemistry with simon Pegg. yeah like that 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 stuff was all great mm-hmm. um like yeah so that was like i, I just love yeah, like, those, he's like those... he's like he points to his thing he's like oh yeah no like i'm an engineer like i fix things he's like i know what an engineer is <laughs> like uh, the moment with the music where he's like commenting on it and then she hears like the she hears the like footsteps like outside or she hears like the, the trap go off or whatever and she's like turn it down turn it like and he's like no 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 i'm fine no no we're good we're good like no no no, no turn it down turn it down turn it off turn it off and then she's like, oh is that like like he's like, like yeah. oh my god like it, it's almost worth like i just kind of want to see them bounce off each other more like that yeah. that's like a really good like friendship that they that they do form yeah um to talk about a character that i have a little bit more complicated feelings about in this movie yeah so crawl crawl whatever his name is is it crawl is a crawl what is it, it? i think it's is it cr- i think it's crawl right Right. Well, because Crawl is the movie you own on DVD that you haven't watched yet. Yeah. 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 That's the. Yeah. Hold on. Yeah. It's. Uh, yeah. It is. Uh, it is Crawl with an A. Not okay. Crawl, not not the eighties like pseudo fantasy movie. So okay. So the idea in the movie is that you don't know who this guy is. He's like some weird alien. He has like he he has some sort of vendetta against Starfleet. Like that's kind of what's clear. And then ultimately you find out that Krull is actually a, a human dude who is, who was like in a po who he was around post Starfleet well, yeah, and so, he was like a military officer. So it, the, he was, it was captain Balazar Edison. Right. Um, well, I'll always pop for the name Balazar. Yeah. Um, oh, sounds like Salazar, but it's not right. Um, uh, so it's not. Uh, he's he's looking after. He's looking for Jack Sparrow. Right. <laughs> like, so like, the <laughs> the concept of the character, which is one of the things I do want to mention that I kind of appreciate a little bit more. Again, the little details. So he is from like the earliest era of like the Starfleet when it was like a more of a military operation. Like um, like it was uh, um, like the Mako like uh, a military group when there was like the, the Zeely wars and the Romulan wars of like the early kind of Starfleet era. And then when Starfleet transitioned into the Federation and sort of this peaceful thing, he is like, you know, they disband the military aspect of it. And then, you know, they give him a, a starship, you know, to do exploration on, um, which I just found was interesting because it's one of those things where like, even I haven't really seen 
like the prequel series Star Trek Enterprise. But all of that, like that's what happens in that show, like the Mako army and the Zeely war and the Romulan war was actually supposed to be a season five that never happened. So I did appreciate that it is like involved in like actual Star Trek lore um, a little bit more and sort of like uh, just a little bit of an exploration of ideas that like didn't get to be explored in, in Enterprise and that stuff that Peck knew. But like that's the whole idea is that he's a former part of the military operations of what eventually became the federation and then when when there was no more military you know he's the type of guy where it's like well no like the peace is dumb because we've been at war and these these races are going to be at war with us again and we're, we're just we're going to become sitting ducks like that's mm-hmm. his whole sort of idea right right um and, and a good it, and, and not a bad idea for a yeah. character and i and i think for the most part it plays like it it, it plays um the real issue... I, I'm the, so confused how this all works, though. I think that's really where it comes from. Well, I mean, if so, there's... A, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So, like, I mean, so the idea is, like... And this is where I say it's overly plotted. There's so many... There's so many world-building sci-fi things at work. And they kind of try to explain it. Like, that they got... They, they basically ended up, like, stranded on this planet. And... Like, here's the thing. They end up on a planet that basically gives them all the stuff that allows the movie to work. Yeah. Like, it's like, it, it was like a planet, but it was abandoned, but they left a bunch of, like, drones. What? And also, like, like technology that allows me to, like, absorb alien DNA. And then well, also, like, we have the ability to make a super virus but we just don't have the piece for it. But the piece that we need is exactly what the Enterprise got before this movie even happened. Like, I'm like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> well, the, the whole thing is that like, it was sort of like a mining planet in like this, this like, you know, this planet. And like the drones were originally like for the mines and like the technology allows them to age, but like, it, sorry, to stop aging, but like it corrupts your DNA to you don't look like your original form anymore because it's like all the humans on the ship are looking this like this alien thing. Okay, but but here's so are all the other aliens like Krull's crew and all like the other people who look like Mass Effect like yeah. NPCs like are they like. Are those all people too? Yes, they're all the people that like joined him and started like because that's the whole thing too is that they ended up like taking like the youth. Uh, they're they stole like the 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 DNA and the youth of like their fellow crew members who all died and like they've been corrupted and you know they're like kind of like on their last legs of all this sort of stuff. So and, why do they look like aliens? Like why do they? Because again, like, like that? it's like it, it corrupts their DNA. No, they, but like later on in the movie, he starts like. Like, as he's absorbing, like, people, my understanding of it was, like, they're kind of, like, weird because they just are just their, – their DNA is getting corrupted because they just keep on using this on other aliens. But then it, during the course of the movie, when he starts doing it on humans, he starts to look more like Idris Elba. See, I thought that was because, like, he hadn't had, like, his juice in a while. <laughs> like, that's what I – No, had... no, because, like, he, he keeps on doing it, and, like, he does it to the people, and then, like, he starts to look less alien over the movie – over the course of the movie. Like, he's doing that to people. And then there's, like – and also, like, but why do they have an alien language? Okay, yeah, so, sorry, I'm on the Star Trek wiki memory alpha. Okay, thank yeah. you. Yeah, because I was, I was actually going to do this right before we hopped on, because, like – 
it's really my only big problem with the movie. Like, yeah. like this is all very confusing. Yeah. So, um, so basically, uh, yeah. So they they land on this planet that had been abandoned by like a previous race that like left behind their like mining operation, which was, I think it was because like this is backstory that's like not in the movie, but essentially like the planet was run dry, so they like left the planet, but the drones were used for like the attack force. Essentially, no, I, I, I get, I got that. No, yeah, you are, like you that. are, you are correct. So basically. Cause you know, remember it's like, they're in like this black hole essentially. Right. Or they're in this like wormhole. It's like so, a Bermuda triangle of right, space. Yeah. yeah. So basically they would lure ships of all types of alien races into this wormhole, crash them on the planet with the drones and then basically like steal the DNA. So you're, you are correct. You are correct. That like, right. he basically so, like combined up, he's combined a bunch of like alien DNA and, um, and now that he's like absorbing people. Yes. But it's all, it just like, there's a little bit of like, okay, so it's a drilling planet that has a bunch of drill drones, but also like technology that allows you to do this and also technology that lets you do like a super virus cloud. It's just a lot. It's it's a lot. It's essentially like, I think it was also part of the backstory that they kind of explore that, you know, it's not really like, totally out there but it's essentially like you know there was sort of like internal warring with this ancient race and they built a super weapon but they like launched it into space because it was like too bad of a super weapon you know what much it's a lot it's a lot of lore and then it's like why are they speaking an alien language and then here's ultimately what i come down to because ultimately it, it comes down to like here's an alien guy and then you find out oh it was like actually a human dude who worked pre-federation and that's what he had and there's these little things that they plant throughout it that insinuate that my point of view and i think you know what i'm gonna say why like why why does there need to be a twist why can't it just be that guy? Like, yeah, because I think the other thing that happens, and actually, like, because I did appreciate a lot more of the character just from the, like the some of the backstory stuff and referencing Enterprise and sort of the performance, just because I, I enjoy those type of performances even more now than I did in 2016. The one real issue with it that like really sort of like makes it a little less like interesting is that this is essentially we've had three movies in this Kelvin timeline and all three of the villains are basically like, I want revenge on Starfleet one way or another. Like, it's like, you know, the, yeah, Rom- the, yeah, the Romulans yeah, yeah. are like, they destroyed our home world. So I'm going to make like these Starfleet guys miserable. And I'm going to shift like reality cons is basically like, Hey, like this, the Starfleet was dicks and took my people. So I'm going to make them like reality. Like, and, that. Then the, and, then, and then the other villain of that movie was also like a guy who was like a war guy, as opposed yeah. to like a Starfleet guy. There like, is yeah. like a sense of like, you can do all the same little lore stuff in terms of like the planet and maybe even explore that more of just like why they came to be on this planet. And maybe like they sent out this Federation, like you can still do where it's like, maybe there's still like a little like thing for the Federation, but maybe they are just like a, a new race that just wants to like take over. Or, and- or, or ha- how about this? tell the same plot except he is just that alien yeah like why is there does there have to be this like transformation this transformation in this last minute twist that you find out who he is and why he's doing what he's doing like i'm just why like it's like just 
you don't need a twist all the time. And I, I think it's so funny how sensitive to this I'm becoming because, and to your point, I think that it played better for me now because I knew that was the deal. Yeah. But like, it, I still find myself being like, it just, it's so overly plotted, like the bad guy. And there's too many mechanics plot wise at play. Mm-hmm. And then you're also asking me to believe like the one missing piece that they needed for this doomsday device is like the thing that they just kind of, that the enterprise randomly came across. Right. You know, so they're like, and I don't mind a good fictional coincidence. Like that's not my problem, but like there is a line, there's a limit. Yeah. I still think, I think Alpha is really fun though. I think he does. He is give fun. His, yeah. He, no, gives, good. he gives his, he gives his all to the performance, both when he's, you know, like the alien fully. And when he's a little bit more Alba ish at the end of the movie, I, I do think he gets to dig into that sort of scene chewery type of stuff. And just like when he gets this, like, like Federation, the Federation is an act of war. Like when he like goes all in on that stuff, that's just, it is fun to see. Yeah. So, and I, I can't appreciate that aspect of the character and sort of that element of sort of Alba doing a scene chewery performance, I think is, is super great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. So I think that I think that's the thing. I think some of the overplottedness is kind of like, for me, it gets a little bit in the way, but a little bit better on a rewatch. Um, but that would be probably my only biggest critique of yes. the film. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I did want to mention because we've been kind of jumping a lot over the movie, but I the the I, I like. Lynn as an action director is, is just super fun. And what I do like about a lot of his action in the movie is just, again, how it feels fresh to Trek. And like, but mm-hmm. it still feels like at home with, with the sort of the tone of the movie. Because I'm, I'm thinking of the way, you know, we've had one of the other big things that, that happens and, and something that we have not discussed yet is uh, in a Star Trek trope that has popped up in all three of sort of the main series, which is, you know, the original series, Next Generation, that's Kelvin timeline, we get the big enterprise destruction of this series of films, um, which is by the swarm. And then just like the whole, you know, the, the little, the bees, the little, the bee, as, uh, as Sophia Patel calls them, the bees, uh, the little swarm, like kind of attacks the enterprise hall and just kind of, you know, decimates it. And, that's crashing to the planet and they eventually have to abandon ship. And uh, I, what I liked about this, I liked how hopeless and desperate it felt. And I, I liked that that did give to the, the emotion to the ship that those other two sequences had done in the previous movies. But it, in many ways, like way, the way that this is directed, written and directed by Lynn is that kind of, it's a lot more of sort of an extended goodbye to the mm-hmm. enterprise for this crew, this ship that has meant a lot, you know, from moment one when they got on in in, two, in 2009 where this kind yeah of i mean to formed. be to be to be really fair to him like he really forms the scene like it is a big deal like because i think it's very easy like like again not to pick on the movie but like if you think of star trek into darkness like holes and stuff are blown into the ship and then you don't like it's like and everything just turns out fine yeah, like like in this one, it's like you kind of like feel like, oh, no, like it's like they're really getting crippled. And like in the fact that like and Kirk has to make that announcement of like, all right, everybody abandoned ship. Right. Yeah. And like yeah. That, and it's a big moment. Right. Where it's like, you know, everybody abandoned ship, get into your Kelvin pods, which I thought was I thought was a little cute, like 
oh, of course, like the ships would now be outfitted with like better ejection pods because of the Kelvin incident years before. Like, mm-hmm. and now they're called Kelvin pods. I think oh, that's that, fun. That's that a little. Like that's that. a little bit of like that's that little bit of good world building where it's like, that's yeah, good. it's like kind of kind of acute. But like just the emotion that Kirk has to say, like, all right, everybody, abandon ship. You know, do what you can, get out of here. You know, and you kind of see everybody get their own individual like way out of there. And even the way that it falls to the planet, well directed, visual effects are great. It feels like a big moment. Um, It feels like a destruction of this important part of the series, even though we've seen it two other versions of it. I think it is really like it's just a really nice way of directing it. But even the the opening scene with the with the aliens you think are giant and then they come down and are really small. And then like they just yeah. like kind of like like maul Kurt because they're just really tiny. That's and then funny. that that's it's a good like because I think it's almost a good melding of like it is it feels like a very like Abramsy idea in many ways, but it's a good melding of like kind of an Abramsy idea in the mold of Lynn's directing style, which I think is super fun. Also love that out of that scene when he comes back on the teleporter, um, you know, he has and he has the aliens with him, and he's just kind of like Kurt is just like, oh, I got my shirt ripped again. Like I also really like that that one the little alien that was like on the that, that came back with him from that race at the end of the movie you see him in a little Starfleet uniform and Kirk's like hey Kevin how's it going like still yeah not nice. wearing he's still not wearing pants still not wearing pants like just a little fun stuff like that um but and then I like I like, I like seeing that Keenzer is still getting some play in these movies though yeah like, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Deep, Deep Roy has a cold yeah, like, yeah I, love, I, love, I love that little that little hug. Yeah, that uh, he was about to give Scotty, and he's like, yeah. "It's like, oh, pleasure to see you, wee man." <laughs> like, it's like it's good, good stuff. Um, yeah, but then like I think we saw like with from the destruction and and the, and the drone stuff is really good, and again, it does really play into that third act reveal, which we'll, we will talk about in a moment. But I do want to so talk good, about, so I wanna, good. I do want to talk about the kind of the other pairings because we've talked a lot about uh, Bones and and Spock, who have so many great lines. Like, there's another moment where like quote <laughs> like. Like Spock quotes like Macbeth and and Bones is like on death's door and he's quoting Shakespeare over here like he's just like still just so flabbergasted or like the moment when Spock laughs at a joke he said and he's like you're delirious (laughs) (laughs) that's all so good like that there's a reason that there's so many like YouTube videos of like the people like just like you know like those videos where it's like uh Spock and Bones being the most adorable couple for like three minutes because there's so much good material with that stuff yep um I actually think that like Kirk and the 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 checkoff one is super fun too because you've got it's like super fun yeah like you've got this like Kirk who's like okay like well we have to figure out what happened we have to find the crew we have to figure out what's going on and then checkoff's still like the younger sort of like kind of awkward like yeah captain like of course like I'm I'm with you and then uh, what's the moment where like they're they're on you know because the whole thing is the reason that they go to this like wormhole and to find this planet is like, you know, someone's like, you know, they find like, a, you know, one of the Kroll's, pe- Kroll's people is like disguising themselves as like an alien that's like, hey, like my ship got, you know, torn apart on this planet and like I need to save my crew, all that sort of stuff. And like Kirk is like kind of, you know, once once everything kind of starts happening, he starts distrusting her immediately. And then eventually like they, they're fighting for that, like the object that was originally given to the people at the beginning of the movie, that, that whole kind of like coincidence thing. But like, there's this whole little moment where like Kirk's gonna like blow up something, and like 
Kirk's like, Chekhov's like, you, you know where you're aiming, sir? They're like, to blow that up. Like, yeah, the little square thing, right? Like, no, no, no. Well, first of all, what's funny about it is Kirk's like, it's like, well, it's like, you know, we're basically on a giant bomb. You can't miss. And Kirk's like, of course I'm not going to miss. Like, it's like, you know what it looks like, right? Right. It's like a big square thing or whatever. He's like, no, it's, it's, it's round. <laughs> like, and, and it's, it's like it, too late. It like shoots yeah. it. Like, it's like stuff it's like good, that. But, but like, and then Chekhov kind of comes in for like the assist too at one point where yeah. like, you know, uh, they find out that that, you know, that chick was like actually working for Crawl the whole time and like and Chekhov comes in like, you know, with the with the with the phaser. And yeah, I was just I was so it was it, I because Chekhov does get like a little shafted in, into darkness. Yes. So when I heard about the stuff about Anton, I was like, oh, man, I hope I get to see a little bit. And I, and I was happy that he was kind of like with Kirk. Like, I thought that was like an interesting kind of um uh, that was a that was a good pairing, good pairing. I yeah, thought. yeah, and again, like something that even in the original series you didn't see too much of. So to kind of have like these new characters kind of do that is super is super fun. And then, um, yeah, and then the stuff that we talked about, Scotty and uh, Jayla is super fun, especially when they first meet and like you know Scotty's trying to figure out like what the hell's going on, and it's like in the home. And I, I like, I love. Like in the original series and in these movies, I love it when they give Scotty a chance to be an engineering nerd. And so even him going into the Franklin for the first time and figuring out it's this old ship and having to figure out like how all the little details work and having to like rigor like, okay, well, this this old transporter uses this super old technology, but I have like re-expanded it that we can get like this many people out at a time. And like, hopefully it's not going to like jiggle everybody's DNA up. Like just that stuff is like where I love the Scotty character most. It's like that. And like the stuff he does in like trouble with tribbles and all that sort of stuff where like he gets to be like a nerd about the ships and nerd about being a Starfleet engineer is like the Scotty I love most. So to see like that Scotty really come out, uh, especially bouncing off of Jayla is like super duper fun. Yeah. And I, and I think it, it is interesting to see, to give, Ahura and Sulu some some authority, I guess I would say. Right. Like, like I mean, you know, yeah. Because they're I the ones they, they they're a little bit more in a thankless role, but I did find myself being like, oh yeah, no, it's fun. Like I do at least walk out of this movie feeling like Sulu has some authority and Ahura like has a little bit of like, you know, authority to herself too, and like well, that. And, and that was good too. Yeah. I, I do think again, it's another thing where you really get a sense of like way the ways in which the Sulu character will go on to be a captain in his own right. I think that that's what those scenes really help emphasize is that he is like a leader to some degree. And, you know, like he does have sort of that authority to sort of try to help those people in the prison because they are the people that are captured into Kroll's prison camp. And, you know, Uhura gets to stand up to, um, you know, Kroll and, 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 and Sulu gets to kind of, you know, talk to the prisoners about kind of getting out of there um, and, and sort of that element of everything. I think the smart thing about the movie is that because they made it that like everybody is involved in this, the same situation in which they're stranded on this planet because of the same circumstance. And, you know, they may all be in different situations, but they're all kind of essentially going through the same thing. So it gave everybody a role but also made the team still feel united against a common front whereas like when i think about the last film 
it was kind of like everybody was a little disconnected. Like, and they tr they gave, yes, they did give Chekhov a moment. They did give Sulu a moment, but it didn't feel like one cohesive unit. And despite all the characters being separated, you kind of felt like you're following the team. You're, you're <laughs> following like the classic Enterprise crew. And I, I, I thought it was structured well in that regard. Yes, uh, very much so. Um, and, and again, I think it does give each character just a little bit of something to do. And yes, like Sulu and Uhura probably have the least amount to do just because they're stuck at the prison. But even in those scenes, and, and like, you know, you see Uhura's empathy when when uh, when uh, face hugger lady opens up her head to reveal like the, the little weapon, which I, which I found also is like a nice little Kirk moment where like he knows his crew enough where it's like here, like I know your head opens up like this. Hide this thing for me, you know, like that's like a little fun little thing. Um and, uh, you know, so eventually kind of the whole thing is that, like, uh, Jayla has a lot of traps, which I, I like the kind of different trap things. Like, she has, like, her little, like, you know, um, she's kind of rigged this thing to kind of hide the Franklin. She has, like, this, like, sticky glue that eventually, like, Kirk and Chekhov get in, which is really fun. Um, and sort of, like, eventually they all come together on this Franklin. They got to realize, hey, they got to they gotta rescue the last of the crew. And they got to fix this ship up to the point where it can fly out of here so that they can get back to Starfleet and, you know, you know, warn them that all this is like a trap or whatever. Uh, one of the things like, I, I do like um, that uh, J-Law keeps calling Kirk James T. Mm -hmm. That's It's a fun little like, what do you think, James T? It's like, all I know is we have stand a better chance with you. Scotty being very caring about her is also. Really oh, nice. I, you know, I'm a sucker for like, like. You can be a hero too. Like I'm, I'm well, a sucker for all, all of those types like of like that, little pep talks. Yeah, it's like that thing too, and also the fact that like you are part of our family now, and like you are part of our crew, and we don't leave our crew behind, and how that gets paid off too with Kirk. Uh, but the whole thing is that um, they eventually have to get to this prison camp once they once they track or her as signature energy. Also, yeah, by the way, uh, uh, Spock and or her are on the outs again, um, but they get back together at the end of the movie, so it's all it's all fine. Mm -hmm. um, they yeah, I like, mean that that does feel like it's for plot reasons, but whatever. Yeah, more so than yeah. anything else. Um, but eventually they have to stage this rescue where like there's only one specific area where they can triangulate the like the old school transporter. So they have to get everybody there to get there. And so eventually they also find that there's a motorcycle on the uh uh on the Franklin, which gives Kirk a big old smile. And eventually what they do is they do this really fun sequence where Kirk like rides this motorcycle through the camp as a distraction, mm -hmm. but like they use the like projection technology to project them all over the place. So you don't know which one's like the real one. And, you know, and that leads to like, kind of like what is a really smart thing that the movie does, at least for me, is that, you know, it's still, it, 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 it finds an interesting way to make it an action franchise, but also to make it the Star Trek franchise where it's not just about blowing the thing up, even though they do always blow the thing up, but yeah. they find kind of like these sciency ways of doing it too. Like, so it's not like he comes in on the, the thing guns blazing. It's like kind of like, oh, he comes in on the, on the uh, motorcycle with like this sticky glue technology and with like holograms like so it's like it's kind yeah. of fun in that way where and again it's like more of the distraction because like yeah they get to have the fun action sequence and again lynn is spectacular at doing these things he gives it so much energy and oomph 
but it's also about like, hey, we're sneaking everybody out of the prison to like get them back on the ship, and so we can have a full working crew. And again, it's like Kirk gets to be kind of the 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 daredevil Kirk that we see in the very beginning of the first movie. It does lead back to that aspect of the character, which is super fun. He gets to do all these jumps on the motorcycle. And again, it, like he gets this really fun moment where at the end, J-Law's having this fight, you know, with, uh, you know, with the with the people and like, hey, like they're like, Kirk, we'll, we'll get her. You got to come back. We got to get you out of here. And then he goes off to like make sure she's with him on the, you know, on the transport that they they don't leave her behind, that she is a part of the crew. And I think mm-hmm. that's just that little moment of, of Kirkism is something I always love when like he is it, a showcase that like he is doing what he can to save the full crew. Even like earlier in the movie, when he does the abandoned ship, when he, when he tries his damnedest to like, you know, keep things afloat. But the other day it's like, we are going to lose a lot of people. If we keep going, we need to abandon ship. There is no more hope here is it, it's just like a part of the character that I don't think people appreciate about Kirk. Cause they think they see him as the ladies man. They see him as like shirt ripped off fighting the gore and all that sort of stuff. But he is a character that consistently as much as we joke about red shirts, he is trying to like save people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so eventually, like, they do save everybody. They get off, you know, they do save everybody, but, you know, Crawl and his crew have this, like, disease-bearing super weapon or whatever. They get the Franklin up, which, again, is another great Sulu moment where, like, again, it's this old-school ship where it's like they don't have any of the technology that the newer ships have. It's like older-school torpedoes, no real shields, anything like that. It's like a completely different engine and kirk's like hey sulu you you can you can drive this thing you can fly this thing right and sulu just turns around it's like are you kidding me like you know well, this- th- so there's two things there's two things about like the big set pieces like you know these things aren't really meant to lift off from the ground like they, they you know they are supposed to be deployed in like from a space station or something so they right. have to kind of like figure out a way and it involves like dropping it off of like you know gaining velocity from like trying to drop it off of like an elevated level so it's like it's a whole thing the best payoff to that whole thing though is like once it's done like i think sulu gives Chekhov a look he's like made it out of that one <laughs> like, so i thought that was really funny i i really um, enjoyed that and we, we need to talk about finally this 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 glorious scene oh, uh that happens so good so Basically, yeah. So we have this like swarm of drones again, as Jayla calls them, the bees, and they essentially like they come through and they like you know just kind of pierce your ship, and it's just like you know it's just like there's so many of them, and it's 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 just impossible to like kind of actually hit them. But then, and then another great Spock Kurt moment where like Spock's doing the whole like explanation, like it seems they like have like one shared mind, so we can just you know whatever. And then Kirk's like, skip to the end, Spock, and, and then her is like, okay, if we disrupt them somehow, we disrupt their thing, we we can kick their ass. Yes, exactly what she said. So basically, you know, that's when we get the moment where Kirk, uh, you know, Spock suggests him and Bones go into like you know one of the ships and you know how to figure out exactly what the frequency is and all that sort of stuff and eventually they kind of determine it's like yeah if we play this like if we play like a high frequency something you know that that will like pierce this frequency we can uh you know we we can just disrupt their mind and we can kind of like you know take them head on Mm -hmm. and then but it has to be something that they're not expecting yes it was like the other thing yeah 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 yeah, so then Jayla's like, I know exactly 
what we're going to do. <laughs> and what we have not mentioned yet is our scenes earlier with the music. It is revealed that the Franklin uh, has a healthy helping of one Beastie Boys uh, as part of their onboard soundtrack. And I like that Jayla's like, I know exactly the, I know exactly the sound. And she's like setting up the little boom box to, to get the sound like projected out. And then, of course, when it when it actually starts playing, it is the all time classic Beastie Boys song "Sabotage," uh, which of course was used in the original Star Trek uh, 2009 film. And just the little moment of Kirk smiling, like Kirk, excellent like, choice. <laughs> it's just the Kirk, the Kirk, the, the realization of what it is, the little like knowing glare, the smirk. It's like excellent choice. And then. It's funny because you would think like this is like something that would be out of like Guardians of the Galaxy. Like it's yes. like it's such like, oh, they can't do that moment because now like Star Trek. Did. But it's so much fun. It's so fun. It's kind of smart. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I was like, I remember seeing that in the theater of like, no, that's awesome. It's such a crowd pleasing moment. It's like a perfect song for that type of moment. And, and, and it's one of those perfect unintentional intentional callbacks, right? Where it's like, you don't plan for that to be a callback at any point. You like Abrams puts that in the first movie just to establish like, Hey, it's like what, who, what the type of character Kirk is and kind of the tone of that initial rebel rebellious scene that he has in that movie. But to be able to call back to it here to use it in this sequence, it's so well edited. It's so well directed it's such a crowd like the moment where the big like yeah comes up and just a bunch of drones oh yeah well that's the best part then then it like cuts to like the the mission control or whatever and then they're like and he's like we just got the signal and he's like play it and then like when it goes like (laughs) like like, everything explodes and my and my other favorite little subtle moment of it is the little kind of cutaways to like the crew also kind of like vibing to the music as well like as they're they're going and the absolute (laughs) classic line when when both and Spock are hearing it and oh yeah yeah (laughs) is that classical music I believe it is (laughs) it it would appear so it would appear so yeah 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 so I mean that whole really really good really good payoff really good third act payoff I thought it's it's so it's just so fun it's like such a fun thing that like is unexpected from an audience perspective too so it's just it's crowd pleasing like when you're in the theater when we're in the theater in 2016 that entire crowd watching it like couldn't help but to smile yeah it was super fun yeah because you know because ultimately what you're dealing with is a movie where you have to just take out a bunch of drones which admittedly maybe is like more of like you know it's it's kind of overplayed at this point but to be fair, a creative solution to how to get rid of it. Well, yeah. I, and I think it again, it was like 2016, you know, I guess this was like kind of the early era of that type of like, uh, you know, hive mind drone type of thing. But again, I just think I, I, what really makes it work on both its original part when the Enterprise is destroyed in this section is Lynn's directing. Mm-hmm. Lynn's directing makes those drones feel like a big deal, like a big threat. The fact that they like completely wiped out the Enterprise and again, like that's a thing where it's like anytime the Enterprise is wiped out in any of these movies, it's like a it's presented as a big deal. Like it first, you know, happened in Star Trek three and Generations. And almost in many ways, like it felt like the biggest deal is just the way that Lynn kind of, you know, directed almost like the funeral of the Enterprise. Like it, it felt like a tragic moment for that ship. I, I, I do have to say now that I think about it, though, it is kind of funny. Like that is something that they have already repeated the whole like, like. It's actually a mining thing that, 
Because, I mean, that was in the first movie, too. (laughs) So I just, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm just like, wow, maybe the military should start looking into mining technology in this universe. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. it's just, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's good. And then, then, yeah, and then the rest of the movie, like, you know, it, 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 in, you know, it, it all comes down to, like, you know, the, the showdown with, with you know crawl in which you find out who exactly what his deal is right because they're kind of like have the old logs on the enterprise too and like there's other stuff where it's like they know that you know crawl has hacked into star trek's uh you know starfleet's database already you know then downloaded all the information about it which is how they knew that 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 object was on the enterprise that's why they that's why they, they they got the enterprise in there um and so I, you know, I I do still like the rest of the, the the third act and like again the little back and forth between Kirk and Balazar, Balazar Edison crawl was 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 good and sort of this little bit where like you know Kirk gonna make the sacrifice and like has to open up the airlock and it's like we got to get this thing out of here it's gonna affect everybody and it, it, it works and it, it's still like yeah, well, it again, and, and again I think I think it, it comes down to Lynn's directing of it I just think that that he has such a a way of making it energetic enough where it doesn't feel like in the hands of like, even in the hands of, it's almost like in comparison, there's some similarities too to the end of Star Trek Into Darkness. And obviously there's a little bit of a flatness just because of the whole con thing. But like the, just the way that like, it just feels like, it just feels like so different because there's a little bit more energy and a little bit more fun to the proceedings, even with sort of the more drama of like, well, Kirk, you know, has to like, you know, get out of the airlock and eventually just get caught or whatever. But like, it, it just feels a lot more fun than it, than like kind of the ending of Star Trek in the darkness did. Yeah. No, 100%. And then, and then it ends on, ends on a fun little note. Like it, it kind of ended on a note where I'm like, I would not be upset if this was the last one. Right. Yeah. So basically like Kirk, you know, they both go through their ways. Kirk decides to turn down the Admiral's position that he's offered because of his work in, in this, in this crisis and wants to, wants to remain captain of the enterprise spock makes the decision he goes through spock's things and that moment where he looks at the original photo of the older you know uh the enterprise crew the original series crew is is a heart tugging moment as well when you see them all together like that and sort of the realization that spock is like no this is my purpose my purpose is to be part of this crew and to make my difference with them you know you know one thing about this ending that i kind of like i must have misremembered because maybe it was because like the anton yelchin death was so fresh i remember that like during kirk's like big speech at the end he says like here's to like you know the enterprise and like forgotten friend or like not forgotten but like lost friends or whatever the comment is and I remember that they cut to Anton Yelchin. No, they, they do. They do. They, right yeah, after. but I remember it being like more blatant. I, I don't right. know. Yeah. Because like, yeah. yeah. no, he uses the, the absent friends type. Right. Of thing. Absent friends. That's what it was. But I remember it being like m- way more of like a medium shot or something. But it was like, so they kind of do. But like, I think it just goes to show like how your viewing experience, it can be different depending right. on where you that, are. That, that was, yeah, very fresh in the mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, it's just like the little, re- like, again, it's just like the little rev refresh where, again, it uses the little bit, you get our last little bit with Chekhov where he's like, you know, you know, whiskey was actually invented in Leningrad. Like, which that, again, that was fun. Like, in Russia, that was which really again, fun. Call back to, um, you know, 
exactly his alliance in trouble with tribbles it's great and then you know scotty walking past him and then like you would get this uh sophia patella um and again there's like the little like mixes and again i like that it also comes back to because another element that we miss but i i do want to talk about is that um they they use the idea of kirk's birthday again because the whole thing at the beginning of the movie when 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 um bones sneaks um checkoff's whiskey to kirk is that oh his birthday is coming up and because like it's the day his dad died he doesn't really like to celebrate it um he kind of like just does it with his like just this usually it's just him and maybe bones because they're buddies and then again it's like a nice flip on the scene in wrath of khan we're talking about his birthday it's like a similar idea but like in a completely different way it's like a predecessor to that type of scene and then at the end when they actually come together and the whole crew celebrates his birthday and it's all about like how the crew is the main part and it's like it really is all the characters have kind of figured that out that kirk is like no like the enterprise where i am because i care about my crew and i care about my friends spock is the same way and even like though she's not a part of the crew like we found that like jayla is kind of okay now she's part of a family again you know, and, and, you know, her and Spock are probably going to get back together. You know, you know, John Cho loves his husband. Like everybody just loves and, and is part of the crew. And it's like, that's why this crew is the best because they just love each other and they care about each other. And they're going to go on these missions. They're going to continue to go on these missions. They're going to find green hands. They're going to find blown up planets and they will, they will work it all out together. And it's super nice that the end of this movie, when they do the, like the, space the final frontier and you get to hear every cast member every member of the crew say a line because mm-hmm. usually it is reserved for spock or for kirk it's one yeah. of the two especially in in the original series movies and in these movies so the, they really emphasize that idea of like this crew is a family and they've come together and they will continue to be together that they each get a line in that is like just a super cool little moment yeah no i agree and that and it kind of just all leads to like why i'm like if they didn't really, especially rewatching it now, if they didn't want to make another one, I'd be like, I'm fine. Like, the, like this was this was pretty dope. Yeah. Um. So, uh, any last thoughts before we get into the? No, I mean, like, it, it's just it, it's it's it, it's a deceptively solid movie. It's just it, it it's fun. It's got like, you know, it, it's probably missing a little bit of like the the visual flair that JJ brought into the first movie. Um, and it is coming off of a, a, like a, frankly, a lackluster film. So it's, it's, it's in an odd place in the franchise, but all I would say, it's like, it, it it's just, I enjoyed, it's just really enjoyable. It, it's just a really enjoyable yeah. movie. Yeah. It's a, it's, it, it is my favorite, especially talking about it more and, and dealing with like the themes and just the characters and just remembering the moments like. This is again my favorite of this Calvin verse timeline. It's in a top five track film for me. It's one that I will always have time for. And it was one of those things where, like, I rewatched it for the podcast, obviously. And it's like one of those things where I watched it. It's like, why don't I watch this film more? This should be like more of a Star Trek rotation for me. Like, I'll always watch Wrath of Khan. I'll always watch The Voyage Home. I'll, you know, I, I really enjoy First Contact, but like this should be in my rotation. Of, like, when I want to watch the Star Trek film, like, I can, I, I would like to watch this one all the time. I really, Love this movie. Um, so the movie again comes out 2016 in celebration of the 50th anniversary of the franchise. That's a big part of of the marketing as well. Um, will be full release in the United States on, um, as I mentioned, July 22nd, 2016. 
and uh, well-reviewed once again, um, more in comparison to the reviews of the original 2009 movie. Um, it's just like people love the direction, people love the story, people love that it went away from the reuse of original series elements and told kind of an original story with original characters. They liked the use of the crew. They liked the new characters and just, they thought everybody just really liked the movie. Um, and it was, uh, even though it was well-reviewed, a little bit under the Star Trek Into Darkness kind of threshold. Um, it was a very busy summer that season as well. Um, and uh, it made $158 million in the United States, a uh, worldwide total of $343 million. Uh, so again, not really... Uh, a huge hit, especially with kind of all the other sort of marketing and stuff, pretty much uh, made a little bit of a profit, but definitely underperformed in terms of what uh, uh, Paramount was expecting. But still, you know, they saw good things with the Star Trek franchise. Um, but since that film's release, it's been a long and tough road for another Star Trek film at the theaters. Uh, we originally had sort of the idea that there would be another time travel film featuring Chris Hemsworth now that he was a bigger star. Then we didn't know if Pine or Quinto were going to return. So we turned to this possible Tarantino script that was in development for a while. Then we had the Noah Hawley era of the, the franchise. And it seems like finally uh, a, a film, a fourth film with these characters is officially going to happen. Uh, filming is scheduled to uh, begin at the end of this year with uh, Mac Shackman at the helm, uh, who uh, recently had uh, directed WandaVision and helped produce that show. And that was kind of a lot of big mm. thing for him. Um, and uh, it's been interesting Star Trek since this film, because in the era of this film and, and the Calvinverse timeline, you know, we had been in this era where Paramount had felt that Star Trek was no longer viable for television, that the syndication style wasn't really in the way anymore, and they didn't want to spend time, they didn't trust it enough to put it on CBS or one of its other networks. They're, they felt that these movies were kind of the big money marketing. But since this time period, we've, we've gone into the streaming era of entertainment. And with the streaming era of entertainment means that these companies, and we've seen it with Disney, we've seen it with Paramount, we've seen it with HBO Max, there's a lot more freedom to kind of put these franchises out in new ways. Like a show like Peacemaker or a show like Obi-Wan probably you know, would be a lot more risky if it were on a network television or if you were putting on HBO. But now that we have like an HBO Max or a Paramount Plus or originally CBS All Access, we're in a new era of Star Trek series. We had Star Trek Discovery to start with. We have Star Trek Picard. We have Star Trek Brain New World coming up, which deals with the Pike era. We have an, two animated series. We have like on the Adult Lower Decks and the Nickelodeon series. Th this seems like, you know, it's a very flip script for what Star Trek was. And there is kind of a wonder for me as we kind of end Star Trek. And again, we do seem to have a fourth film coming up with Pine and Quinto and the Calvin timeline crew, but like the future of Star Trek on film is going to be very fascinating because there's only a certain amount of times you're going to be able to get Pine and Quinto and everything back. So are you going to do sort of bond it 
or are you going to go, you know, where you just recast these original series roles? Are you eventually going to Calvin timeline sort of the next generation and kind of do a reboot of that? Are you going to find ways to make original characters? Are you going to, if I had to guess, I think it's a move forward type deal. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I feel like or like do you do you find ways to integrate the the Paramount Plus series? Do you start doing original films for Paramount Plus? It's gonna be very fascinating what the Star Trek film franchise is because as we've kind of gone through these films, it's been interesting to see sort of the evolution of these films from their television roots. And we talked about that a lot in the in the early episodes into these iconic movies and 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 many of you know wrath of khan we talked about still is one of the great sci-fi movies ever made people still talk about the star trek movie with the whales first contact has a lot of its fans you know and even these calvin verse films like the the these are iconic moments in the modern blockbuster era like star trek for a series that has you know and, and to some people always will be like a television property has really made its mark as a premier sci-fi film franchise. Yeah. And, it, and it's been a lot of fun and very interesting to go through these films. And it will be very interesting to see what happens with that fourth movie in, in this, in this timeline and what the true future of Star Trek holds. Cause in many ways, again, we're in an era of everybody needs to make so much content. We, we haven't really had this much Star Trek content maybe ever, but especially not since the 90s, not since the heyday of Next Generation, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, Enterprise, like that era of Trek where it was just always a Trek film on your syndicated blocks. We're, we're in an era where there's like more Trek than ever. And it's going to be interesting to see how that continues in this sort of content every era. Bring it on. We'll see what happens. All right. And that's the end of the Star Trek series of films. Uh, thank you for, for digging with us on these. It was, again, a lot of fun. Um, we're not just quite ready yet to announce uh, new franchises for us. I think we'll get to uh, our next film that we're going to look at. We're going to kind of take a little detour on our Pirates of the Caribbean, kind of a little epilogue, side venture, if you will. Uh, we're going to take a look at sort of another production that's similar in tone and style to what the Pirates films were with a similar you know, cast and crew behind it. And we're going to see what happens when you take the Pirates of the Caribbean style and put it into the Old West with the Lone Ranger. And then once we conclude with the Lone Ranger, uh, we'll let you know what's going on with the future of Bonzilla. Um, we will try to get this, that episode out soon. Uh, I do have sort of an out-of-town situation that I will have to deal with as well. So uh, keep an eye out for any updates on that. Great. And figure it out. Yeah. All right. With that, let's wrap up. Bonzillapod at gmail.com. Twitter.com says Bonzilla 7 Like and subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud.com slash Bonzilla 7 We uh, still have fun. I have fun. I, yeah. I, I'm i glad we were able to do I'm looking forward to watching Lone Ranger again. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Listen, <laughs> I and, and, and I and, am looking forward to it. And I've been debating what franchises are coming up soon. And I think there's some really fun options for us to, to continue looking at, at interesting movies, is what I'll say. We shall see. All righty. Take care, everybody. Uh, we'll see you later. Godspeed. Uh, and, uh, you know, let's keep going where no person has gone before, everybody. Bye-bye. Mike.
They say it hurts less if it's a surprise. If I may adopt a parlance with which you are familiar, I can confirm your theory to be horse shit. 